All right, Christ Community Church, if you would be turning in your Bibles, we're going to be in three different places in Romans this morning. We'll first start off in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, which is Paul's greeting to the church, and then we'll turn to chapter 11 and look at verses 11 and 12, and then chapter 15 to look at verses 5 through 7 briefly. We're actually going to engage them later in the series in more detail, but we, we want to see how those passages help us to understand Paul's goal for the Roman church. So we'll look at his greeting and his goal. But as you're turning there, I want to give you the key truth that we want to walk away with this morning. We want to walk away with an understanding that God has saved us individually and united us together in Christ alone, by faith alone, through His grace alone, for His glory and for the life of the world. And just as a reminder, that phrase, for the life of the world, is, is another way of saying the redemptive mission that God has invited us into. So when we do things for the life of the world, it's not just uh, for their, their temporal good, although that is part of it. It's not just the temporary meeting of needs. It is the actual genuine des desire to see them, to see our friends and neighbors have eternal life as we do in Christ alone. And so let me read that key truth just one more time for us. God saved us individually and united us together in Christ alone, by faith alone, through His grace alone, for His glory and for the life of the world. If you would give your attention to the reading of God's Word this morning, this first portion is Romans 1, 1 through 7. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's turn to Romans 11 and look at verses 11 and 12. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? And then Romans uh, 15 verses 5 through 7. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, as we step into this text this morning, I have a question for us uh, that may be kind of interesting uh, for us to think about because I, I don't know that we do a lot of uh, introducing ourselves in varying spheres, but there are moments where we do get to introduce ourselves. And so how do you introduce yourself? What, what information do you give when you first meet someone 
uh, or when you're trying to uh, facilitate, network, engage with, build a relationship with someone that, that you have not previously known. What, what is most important to you that you want them to know about who you are? And what does this reveal about what is most important to your identity? Uh, confessionally, uh, being a pastor, uh, is, it can be a tricky thing sometimes because I don't get to always uh, know what someone's baggage on that particular phrase is, that, that my vocation carries with it for those I'm talking to. So it's always this kind of interesting moment when someone says to me, hey, what do you do? Or if I'm introducing myself, do I include that as part of it? And so uh, there's a sense in which I, I've, I've had to wrestle with and am still wrestling with what makes sense in those moments. Really, I should not be ashamed of the gospel. I should not be ashamed of my calling. We see here Paul is not at all ashamed of his calling, and nor should we be. The same is true for many of you. To say you're a Christian, think of all the baggage that comes with that and all that's going on presently in our culture and how the church is viewed. This can be an interesting thing for us, but I think it's something we need to think about. And Paul's example to us is going to be, we, we should not be ashamed of what Jesus has done for us and the work that he's called us into, no matter what it is. And so that's something that we, I, along with you, need to think through and wrestle with. Are we in some measure keeping our light under a bushel, even in the ways in which we identify ourselves and the things that we share that are important to us with other people? Now, just a little bit of background on, on Romans that'll be helpful to us as we're going through this letter. Paul didn't plant this church and, and had not previously visited this church, so he's never seen them face to face. He doesn't have a deep relationship with them. And so he is having to establish uh, straight away his credibility because he's having to address a, a specific issue. This letter is, is written uh, in full. The whole letter is dealing with one problem, essentially. And that is that this church has, is divided. Now, the church more than likely was planted by Jews from Rome who were saved by Christ uh, uh, through faith alone, by God's grace alone at Pentecost. Right? They heard the, the wonderful sermons that were preached by Peter and those who were gathered, and they were, they were moved uh, to, to be drawn to, to the person of Christ and redeemed by Christ. They were granted eternal life, and they come back to Rome and so share what they had experienced and the, the joy and the glory of God that the Roman church explodes in some measure. It, it, in fact, there are more Gentile converts than there were Jews who started that church. And so that was, it, it was a beautiful picture of the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant and many of the promises in the Old Testament about uh, God bringing in the Gentiles. In fact, Paul refers to it as, as the great mystery of the gospel in a number of places, Colossians, Galatians, and other places, where he makes it very clear this, this mystery, the mystery of the gospel is revealed in Gentiles, which that, that word is a very broad umbrella that includes lots of ethnicities. It essentially just means not a Jew. So it's every other ethnicity that was not a Jew. So it's important that we see this would have been a, a beautifully diverse church, given what we know of Rome at that time and the number of different people that would have been there. 
What a beautiful picture it would have been of Revelation 7 and what we will have in the new heavens and the new earth and how all of that diversity complements each other and is a great gift. However, the Emperor Claudius kicked the Jews out around about 49 AD uh, and, and, and the Gentile Christians who were there took the church over. And for some reason, they saw that uh, as, as God's favor being placed upon them, that they were now God's chosen people, that they were better than the Jews. But in God's providence, a uh, set of political circumstances had changed. Nero actually allows the Jews to come back in around about 54 AD. And when the Jews, Jewish Christians returned to the church, they said, well, thank you for maintaining things. We'll take back over because we're the chosen people. And so this, this, this infighting began and this, this vying for power began over who is more loved by God, who is more chosen by God. And so this is the uh, intent of the Roman letter is to try to heal that rift. And Paul wonderfully, beautifully uh, uses uh, the theology to help them see how deeply unified they are and how no one. No one has the right to claim themselves more loved or more chosen or more saved by God than any other. So with that in mind, it's important that we, we first see Paul's greeting and what he's establishing straight away. He's making it very clear to them that the, the theology he's going to unpack throughout the, the first eight or so chapters, actually first 11 chapters of Romans, is, is, has been true for him. That the same salvation that he's going to unpack for them from their fallenness through to their glorification and God's predestining grace, it, it was true for him. And so in these words, what we see is what's, what was true for him is also true for them. And so as we turn back to this text, let's see what Paul's trying to communicate with this greeting. He starts straight away by referring to himself as a servant of Christ called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. So what he's saying in these words, in that word servant, some translations you call it bondservant, others it's, it's actually the word for slave. And so he's essentially saying this was not something he came up with. And in fact, he didn't choose God. God chose him in Christ. And we know from his Damascus Road experience that he had an encounter with the risen Lord which we spent Easter looking at the, the death and resurrection and ascension of Christ. And that, that will actually be helpful to us as we see these words to keep in mind what we learned from the Gospel of Luke. But Paul had that specific experience, which uh, was his calling. He essentially uh, saw the risen Jesus and was called to serve and suffer specifically for the life of the world uh, in Christ uh, and so what, what we see here is him saying straight away, this isn't my message. This isn't my, I didn't choose this. And so he's setting up, if he didn't choose it, then they didn't either. And they can't either. What's interesting is that he uses the term, the gospel of God. And so he's also saying in that phrase that, that, that they're not being saved from God. They're being saved to God, that it is God who sends Jesus. It is God's redemptive message, good news about what Christ has done for us because of his grace. Too often, I think we, we, we think the good news is what we get to do for God for our own glory and honor. And that's not what that is at all. In fact, the gospel is only good news because it is finished work in Christ 
There's still parts of it left to be revealed to us in time. Uh, and so it's, it's still unfolding for us, which is beautiful. But we need to remember that it is good news because it is finished work that, that Jesus has done for us. And he says that this, this gospel of God, it was promised beforehand, and he even uses words similar to what Jesus used on the road to Emmaus when he was talking to Cleopas and the other disciple. He says that, that the prophets and the Holy Scriptures pointed to these things. So this isn't a new message. This isn't something that has just come up. This is a historic message. This is an eternal, part of the eternal will of God that was revealed in and through the scriptures. And so he is locating them and making sure they understand that this, this is the banks of the river essentially is God's word, that it is the main revelation of his love for his people and, and his pursuit of his people and his redemption of his people. And so they, they would recognize he's not going outside of Scripture. In fact, the Old Testament is filled, uh, as was mentioned earlier, with the Abrahamic covenant, which says that all nations would be blessed in and through their father Abraham, which include Gentile nations. And many other prophecies, uh, a lot of times you see it in Isaiah, where he speaks of redeeming the Gentiles. Uh, and even uh, from what we saw in chapter 11, that, that he would make the Jews jealous. Making them jealous so that they could be condemned, but so that they would be drawn back to him. Every move of God is, is, is ultimately redemptive. Even in his judgment, there's a redemptive element to it, uh, if we would but pay attention. So he, he says that it, these things that were written, this gospel of God, it is concerning, uh, it, it concerns his son, which we know to be Jesus, and he gives the, the humiliation and the exaltation. So he's really just taking us right back through the, the Easter message that we just heard that, that Matt so wonderfully uh, helped us to see and understand from the text. And he says in his humiliation, essentially, that he was descended from David. So he's, he's a king, but he's a king according to the flesh. And, and in that phrase, he's saying that, that Christ would suffer all of the things that come with being flesh. But even though he was a king, he would be crucified and he would die. But notice what he says next, that that humiliation leads to the great exaltation and that he was also declared to be the son of God. To be declared the son of God means that he had the right to sit at the right hand of the father, that he had the right to judge, that he has the right to, to impart the Holy Spirit, that he has the right to give us access to all of the heavenly blessings as fellow heirs. And he, he reveals that. He says he is the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. So it wasn't just that Christ was humiliated, which is, is wonderful news for us. That's good news that Christ was humiliated on our behalf. That he would, was crucified and died, which satisfied the wrath of God and meant that our shame and guilt was taken care of. But, but even more beautifully, he rose from the dead in the power of the Holy Spirit so that we too could walk in newness of life. That, is, that resurrection is given to us as well. It's given to Paul. That's the power that he's coming in. In fact, he's going to talk about that at length in Romans chapter 8 in, in such a beautiful way. The, the Holy Spirit features uh, wonderfully in the book of Romans. And he goes on and says that, that uh, it, is, it is Jesus Christ who is our Lord, uh, and it is, um, it is through him that we have received grace. 
and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. Now, he's referring to himself here uh, and to others who are working with him. So he's, he's making it very clear that he individually was saved uh, in Christ alone, by faith alone, through grace alone. That this is as true of him as it is for anybody else. And that it is that they are set apart, that their purpose in this life is to share this message in the fulfillment of the Great Commission. That, that they are to help others to, to grow in, in faith. And that out of that faith, there would be works that would, would come along with that salvation. There would be evidence of one's faith in Christ, uh, evidence of one's savedness, right? So it's not enough to know a bunch of theology unless it is lived out, unless it has some sort of daily impact that people can witness to. And so he's trying to get them to see that this isn't just in word, that it has to also be manifest in deed. And his longing is to actually come visit them in person, uh, but, but he hasn't been able to do that yet. So for now, the letter has to suffice, but his longing is actually for them to see this at work in him as well. And so uh, he gives us the, the, the wonderful reality that, that he is redeemed in Christ alone, by faith alone, through God's grace alone. And it's for a purpose. Notice the purpose, which is for the sake of his, being Jesus' name, uh, God's name, uh, both uh, among all the nations. See, he, he was saved for something. And according to the Great Commission, so are we. That, that commission that Jesus gives at the end of Matthew to go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them uh, the, the doctrines of the apostles, teaching them the teachings of Christ, teaching them the scriptures themselves in and through the means of grace, that is all of our calling. Now, each of us has a different way in which we live out that calling or complement that calling as a church, right? And so it's important that we not ever hear the Great Commission as, as singularly bestowed upon an individual or a, a, a cast of priests or pastors or special spiritual people. No, that is every single one of our calls. And so that's going to be what he keeps anchoring them back into throughout the book of Romans, that their, their calling, their salvation is for God's glory and for the life of the world. He's also going to make the argument that their unity is a key component to both of those realities. And notice he goes on to say, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And so this message of the gospel that he's bringing, it's all for them and they are also to participate in that same calling, that they too are saved for a purpose. He wraps up this greeting with these words, and, and they're, they're powerful in what he is doing here. And we could, we could read quickly over them and miss this, but I don't want us to miss it. He says, to all, to all those in Rome who are loved by God. Notice the only distinction, the only thing that separates one person from another is whether or not they are loved by God. And our desire ought to be that those who don't currently know themselves to be loved by God in a redemptive way in Christ, that they would come to know that, right? That, that, that's, that rift, that separation would be healed. Now, we don't get to decide who, where, when, and how, but we get to participate 
in God's decision of who, where, when, and how. And that ought to be our prayerful longing. And so he's, he's bringing them together straight away in his greeting. He's saying both to the Jews and the Gentile Christians, this is to all of you who are loved by God and you are all called to be saints. That's the distinction. And then he says these words, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This sets the tone for the letter. Remember what Matt shared with us in, in the sermon last week. When Christ enters, he says, peace to you. And that's the tone, right? In fact, Paul is, looks like Jesus here, right? He's got a group of people that I'm sure he would love to, to maybe slam their heads together or shake them to try to get them to understand the beauty of the gospel. But instead, what he wants them to know first is that it is grace and peace to you. Now, interestingly, grace is a term that uh, would have meant much more to the Greeks or the Gentiles. And peace was a term that would have had, uh, been, had, had a certain loadedness for the Jewish people. They would have seen that as shalom. Grace and peace means the complete unification in Christ of all things ultimately. That's language from Colossians 1, that that's the purpose is to bring all things together in Christ. And so he does that with these words here. And so it's going to be important for us that as we go through this series, especially this early portion where we're going to lean heavy into the bad news once we get past verse 17 in chapter 1, that we keep hearing that uh, in the tone of grace and peace to us in Christ. That there's a, a reason for having to sift back through those things and to ponder afresh our own sinfulness and our own brokenness. We too need to hear the, the beauty of the gospel, even in those words and how freeing it truly is that we are not left to the only reality that was, that was pointed to in our brokenness and in our fallenness. And praise be to God that that is true. Now listen to what Charles Hodge says about this, this greeting. He says, the divine origin of the gospel is asserted in calling it the gospel of God. It is the glad annunciation which God makes to humanity of the pardon of sin, of restoration to his favor, of the renovation of their nature, of the resurrection of the body, and of eternal life. It's very important that we, when we hear the word gospel, that we hear all of that. Not just one part of it. It's not just being saved from sin. It's not just being saved for good works. It is being saved to uh, relationally be restored to the Lord our God with our sin taken away so that we could stand before Him at peace because of the work of Christ. We've been indwelt by the Spirit and have the power to live differently. We've been renovated. That's a great word. And we are able to walk in the power of that resurrection even now through the means of grace and, that, and the work of the Holy Spirit and even better we got eternal life coming in the new heavens and new earth when all of the good stuff's going to be revealed. We can at long last tolerate seeing all of it. Now, the question I have for us, and this is something that you need to think about specifically, what have you individually been saved in Christ alone, by faith alone, through grace alone for? Now, there's two ways to answer this question. There's kind of the, the overarching way in which you could say, well, I am saved f for God's pleasure and glory and honor. 
and, and, and I am saved so as to be able to enjoy him. And that is true. But there's also the very more specific way in which you have been gifted, in which you have been called, in which you have been granted stewardship of various spheres of influence. So you, you need to be prayerfully considering what have you been saved for in your job at a certain location, in your staying at home to, to, to work on behalf of your family, in your uh, going to this particular school, in your having this particular group of friends, uh, whatever it may be, it is worthy of consideration that God in his providential predestining grace and sovereignty has placed you in all of those places. What have you been saved for at Christ Community Church? What, what role are you, you playing within our uh, unified effort to try to reach other people, to try to see the family get bigger, to help us mature further into the image of Christ, to help us more clearly see Jesus and the working of the Holy Spirit and the goodness of God? And then what best reveals as you live out life, what gives people the clearest picture of your relationship to God in Christ? Again, words, they matter, but when, they are, when they're dissonant with our deeds, it, 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 it is very confusing to people. And so this is something we need to consider is how does anybody in our spheres of influence know that we have any relationship with God at all? That's important for us to ask. Now, I want to briefly turn to the other two texts and see just Paul's purpose for writing this letter. Uh, he has shared with us that he himself... Uh, required the same salvation that he's going to unpack for them in the same manner and in the same way, and he has the same calling as an individual. But he wants them to see that they, though it's an individual calling, they are unified together for a purpose. And so note uh, what he has to say to them about their, their differences as Jews and Gentiles. So let's pick it up in Romans 11, 11. He says, So I ask... Did they, being the Jews, stumble in order that they may fall? So he's giving reference to Christ as the cornerstone. It would have been a stumbling block for the Jew in a, in a manner of ways. And so is, was it God's will that they just stumble and fall and be destroyed? Is essentially God's will to judge and destroy the Jews is what he's asking. He says, by no means. By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. He's saying that God used their getting it wrong. He used their stumbling in order to bring in the Gentiles. So it's not that he made them stumble. They stumbled themselves over the cornerstone. But, but God in his great grace, his sovereignty, his predestining grace refused to let that be the end of the story. He refused to let the stumbling of the Jews cost the Gentiles their eternity. So he's showing them how they are interrelated, how they need each other, how they've played a role in each other's lives and therefore cannot see one as exalted over the other, but one as in service to the other. There was a mutual submission going on that they weren't even aware of. And the same is often true for us. He goes on. He says, uh, the salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. So Israel stumbles, which opens the way for the Gentiles to come in. And the Gentiles coming in opens the way for Israel to return and be restored. 
and to make one people to take down to the, the dividing wall and fulfill this great mystery of the gospel. He says, now, if the trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, so he's saying if their stumbling actually is beneficial, has been beneficial in the redeeming sovereign hands of the Lord our God in and through the work of Christ, how much more will their full inclusion mean? So he's trying to get them to understand that their division is, is satanic, that them trying to vie for power and, and favor and act as if one is more chosen than the other because of the varying evidences of either the circumstance or history or birthright, that's crazy. That is crazy talk. And so it's important that we do the same because we are battling the same thing today in, in our churches here in America and really across the world. And in some measure, we struggle with it on the local level, right? We, we, we struggle with uh, um, thinking we have better theology than those folks over there, with thinking that God has granted us more favor because of this happening or that happening or that he's somehow forsaken us because we don't ha yet have a building and we've been having to meet in groups of 50 instead of looking at each circumstance as God's sovereign, providential opportunity to grow in unity and uh, to do so for the life of the world, which we're going to see as Paul's concluding purpose uh, that we'll briefly look at in Romans 15, uh, verses 5 through 7. Listen at what he's, this is his longing for them. And we got to keep this in front of us as we go throughout this series. He says, may the God of endurance and encouragement. So he's telling them, it's not going to be easy. If you need endurance, that means that the way is hard. If you need encouragement, that means there's going to be discouragement. So he's, he's praying. He's essentially saying what Jesus said to Peter. May your faith hold because you're getting sifted like wheat. He says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you. So it has to be something given by God. And so that means we have to turn and ask for it from him. This isn't, harmony is not something we can force or fake. We have to receive it as a gift in humility from the Lord our God. He says, may he grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. So that's the banks of the river that are Harmony, the, the, the river of harmony for us, the, the unity that we long for can only come through the means of grace and God's gifting it to us in the power of the Holy Spirit and it should look like Jesus. So any unity or harmony that doesn't actually look like Jesus is a false unity and a fake harmony. Any unity or harmony that even looks like Jesus, but we gain by our own hands such that we could celebrate or we could boast is a fake and false harmony and unity. He goes on that together you may with one voice, one voice, that means that we are declaring the same thing. Doesn't mean we always declare it the same way. That doesn't mean we all sing the songs the same style but it does mean that we are all declaring the same gospel of God. That is the message that cannot change or be changed because of the unchanging nature of God and the finished work of Christ, which cannot be undone or changed. And amen. He goes on, that with one voice you would glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So one of our main purposes is that God would be glorified. 
Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And so that should produce a hospitality in us, right? That, that our worship, our joy in the gospel of God as given to us in Christ alone, by faith alone, through God's grace alone, that that joy should be welcoming and that other people would want to draw near and say, what are you guys about? What is this? What is this? love that you have for each other? What is this that, that you are willing to seek to apply the gospel to political differences, to racial differences, to, to, to the, the differences that we have in what we weep for and what we uh, enjoy, that we are able to lay aside these things for the sake of the glory of God that, that keep us apart, that we would be constant in prayer in seeking to be given this great gift for the life of the world. And so what we have from Paul is that he makes it very clear that he's saved in the same way they are, that that same individual call to in Christ alone, by faith alone, through God's grace alone, is the same for everybody. Nobody gets in under any other circumstance. And that, that everyone who gets in under that singular circumstance, God brings together for the purpose of making the family bigger. He brings us together so that we turn and face outward and welcome in uh, those who don't yet know him. That we would give the world a chance to see the great beauty of being redeemed in Christ. That the world could see our theology lived out. That it, they could see the effects of our theology. What a sad testimony that so much of, of what we call theology is actually divisive. And I'm not I'm not calling for cheap distinctions. I'm not saying that, that there are things that don't matter outside of the gospel. They do because they are reflections of the gospel. Baptism is a reflection of the gospel. The Lord's Supper is a reflection of the gospel. And so what we think about those things does matter. Marriage is a sacred canopy that is a reflection of the gospel. Yes, we must think those things through. And so uh, listen to what Tim Keller says about the purpose of Romans. Uh, um, he says, Paul is not only or mainly concerned about a breakdown in the doctrinal beliefs of individuals. He has a deep concern about a breakdown in Christian unity and community. So it's not, he, he's saying that Paul's dealing with theology is, is for the purpose of, of healing a rift between these folks. And he goes on to say, it is important to see how much the book of Romans is addressed to the problems of how people from very different cultural backgrounds and religious traditions can live in unity as Christians. It is possible because of what Christ has done. It is possible because of all the means of grace at our disposal. It is possible because we are resurrected in Christ. It's possible because we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Christ in his ascension is interceding for us. It's possible because it is a picture of, of, of what it looks like in heaven on earth. Now, how does a local church's unity affect its redemptive calling for the life of the world? See, we all know, we know either from firsthand experience or from discouraging stories that we've heard that a church that is, is, is rending and tearing one another or lacks unity, lacks humility that leads to unity, it does a, a poor job of reaching its friends and neighbors. In fact, it does a poor job of, of, of encouraging hope within its own midst. See, that's the other question. How does a local church's unity affect its members? hope in Christ. Who, who wants to show up for a worship service filled with tension, 
Who, who wants to listen to, to leaders get up and, and, and give veiled comments uh, that, that, that put down this group or that group and you're having to think that through instead of being able to come and, and be uh, able to fully worship in spirit and truth as much as we can between the now and the not yet. We need to be free of these things. We need to be able to come into worship and be edified and encouraged with the beauty of the gospel. We need to be able to do that for each other. And so we have to be swift. That's why Christ said, lay aside your offering and go quickly to make right with whomever you are at odds with. Would that we would have that sort of passion and, and swiftness and concern for each other, for the glory of God, and for the life of the world. So Romans 1, 1 through 7, then 11, 11 through 12, 15, 5 through 7 teaches us that we are saved in Christ alone, by faith alone, through God's grace alone, for His glory and for the life of the world. And then we are united together in Christ alone, by faith alone, through God's grace alone, for His glory and for the life of the world. It is the same purpose. So would you join me as we begin this series in praying Romans 15, 5 through 7. Remember, we, uh, a couple of years ago, had the book by Donald Whitney called Praying the Bible. This is a great place to, to bring that back out, to, to take that, that passage and let it be our hearts cry throughout this series, that we would be so in harmony that we would be this beautifully hospitable place. I commend you in that we, I think, are, are doing that for the most part. We've got some things that we probably need to think about and work on and things I don't even know about, I'm sure. But we want to be vigilant, vigilant, to have our theology worked out in and through our humility and our unity and our hospitality and our love for one another as God has loved us in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have so loved us, that you have saved us in Christ alone, uh, through faith alone, by your grace alone, that it was through no merit of ours, there was nothing in us that could make us stand out to you or stand out from anyone else. It was purely your predestining love, which is mysterious to us, but we are glad that it is true. And God, would you help us be concerned about those who don't know you and how, how we live affects that, how our theology deeply affects our hospitality, our ability to love one another, our ability to affect our spheres of influence. Would you help us be a church that is reflective of the glory of your gospel. Be worthy of your name and be a place that lives in such harmony that, that folks would want to be near that, that they would be drawn to us for the life of the world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.